I'm Jeff Hakeem, founder of MCM Wealth. Welcome to our podcast today. We do these podcasts to advise families, business owners, and health professionals. Our approach is to build customized portfolios for each client while offering comprehensive financial planning services. Thank you for joining us today on this educational journey designed to protect your future. Hello, and welcome to the MCM Wealth Podcast. I'm Wendy McConnell. Today, we'll be speaking with MCM's principal owners. It's Jeff Hakeem and Bob Hoyt. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Wendy. Great to be here today. Thank you for being here. We do appreciate it. So, Jeff, we're going to start with you. I wanted to ask you about your current role at MCM. Well, I'm going to describe my role by first... Uh, starting with a quick overview of what we're doing. So the first service we offer is customizing portfolios, managing portfolios for clients. We also offer a broad range of planning services to clients. And then thirdly, we build uh, in-house risk-adjusted investments that are designed uh, to be much less volatile than the stock market. So Relative to that, I have several primary roles with the firm. My first one is to move the firm forward relative to the mandates I just mentioned, both with my uh, partner, Bob Hoyt, and our team. I also sit on two investment committees. Marketing and sales is another primary responsibility for me. Uh, Over the last two years, we've transformed the practice, and now it's time to really grow it. And my final role is to attend client meetings, which I enjoy a lot, especially with clients I've known for so long. We are fortunate. Many of our clients have been with us for 15 or 20 or or, or more years. Uh, so we're fortunate that way. Now that MCM is in its 26th year, what have you learned over all of this time? Well, one of the main things I've learned is that since we're in a super competitive industry and business, you've got to be really deliberate about your actions. So in our case, that first action is to take care of our clients on a bunch of different levels. Their investments must perform, especially when times are difficult and clients get nervous. Planning services have to be done just right. And then, of course, communicating with clients, servicing them well, all that's very important uh, to the experience for the client. Another thing that you've got to be deliberate about is you've got to have a vision for what you want your business to become, and you've got to go after it pretty damn hard, or your business will turn out to likely be pretty average and not so satisfying. Thirdly, what I have found so important is the quality of your staff is so important, so huge. It's not easy to find great people, but when you do, they make a huge difference and you've got to treat them really well. That's right. You got to take care of the people, right? Absolutely. 
So I see that you've made some major changes in just the past two years with the practice. What does that entail? Well, a couple of years ago, Bob Hoyt and I decided to become partners, which has changed everything. The primary effect of that change is that it gave the firm a much stronger base. And from there, we've been able to really transform the practice from top to bottom over the last two years. Bob and I both have lots of experience. We've got natural strengths in preferences uh, in specific areas. So that gave us the opportunity to divide both the oversight role and the work responsibilities among us. My newer responsibilities are primarily marketing and sales and recruiting new talent. And Bob's are investments and uh, compliance and finance. And I've got to tell you, this division of labor is critical because it makes the firm makes running the firm a lot less stressful and a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, that's important for sure. So, Bob, it's just two years now that you've been uh, with the firm. What were you doing before that? Well, I've done a number of things. My, I have not had a conventional career. Most people say that's an understatement. Uh, my career started as a, a clinical psychologist at uh, Mount Sinai uh, Hospital in New York in a private practice on the Upper West Side. And uh, I enjoyed that role very much. I always would look for ways to change people, and it's very gratifying when you succeed. Yeah. Uh, but there's an expression in Yiddish which is man plans and God laughs. <laughs> oh, yes. So my father ended up, who I was very close with, uh, with a terminal illness. My sister was not financially independent. I couldn't certainly not help much when your income is governed by your hours, therapy hours delivered. And I did recognize that something uh, that I didn't get uh, in, as a psychotherapist that I wanted was uh, a way to measure success. And so I felt it was the right thing to do for me, as well as for the family, to take over my father's business. Once I became CEO, I had never wanted to go into that business. It did not it was not a business that interested me. What type so of it business gave me was a it? natural inclination to innovate so that it would be different. And sometimes you just get lucky. I took uh, over the business at the same time that this newfangled thing called barcode scanning was just coming out. So I ended up completely transforming the business from a traditional uh, parts supplier to manufacturers to something called just-in-time supply chain management. And uh, that was uh helped me grow the business substantially. And then we ended up uh, merging with other just-in-time type uh, innovators. And we were frankly talked into by an investment bank. Now I recognize some of the uh, perils of greed uh, that, uh, that we should go public. And that none of us in our uh, group of companies should be the CEO. It had to be somebody that Wall Street knew. Okay. He immediately made an acquisition that was an unmitigated disaster. Oh, no. As soon as we went public. 
I'm going to make the story short now. We lost 80 cents on the dollar before Sam Zell took the company back private. Oh, my goodness. So I'm not one to cry in my soup. So what I did learn from that is I think I had a pretty good sense of what differentiates the the smallest public companies, which are called microcaps. What makes the ones that succeed when they go public? And what makes ones like us fail? So I um, ended up joining a hedge fund as a, a partner and on the investment committee. And that's what we did. We invested in microcaps and that was very successful. We grew it from 2004 to 2007, from 45 million to 250 million. But unfortunately, many hedge funds did not survive the great financial crisis because everyone wanted their money back because liquidity was king. Right. So ever since then, I've been a financial advisor. I had started uh, uh, over the years my own family office. And then um, I am a student by nature, and uh, I wanted to use my psychology skills as well as some of the things I learned as an entrepreneur. And that's how I got here. So you got into investing mostly just from your own curiosity? Yes, Oh, it's so interesting. There's so few people that do something like that. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, well, okay. Jeff mentioned that um, I'm also the CFO and I'm also the chief compliance officer. I am a student by nature. I just like learning stuff. I know that Jeff knows that about me. He smiles often when uh, I, I come up with something that nobody else uh, had thought of yet, but because that's just what I enjoy. So how do you think that you um, integrate both disciplines at MCM Well? Well, actually, there's two very specific ways that I think my uh, two uh, backgrounds uh, have merged into the kind of investment program that my partner just described. First, as a psychologist, I designed something we call the client discovery interview, which is uniquely goes in depth into trying to understand who that prospect or client is in terms of their values, their feelings or thoughts about their success and uh, how these things uh, should be taken into consideration for their investment plan. For example, we'll ask something a little more traditional, like what are your values around money? Although many people don't ask about values at all and yet they're supremely important. And then our next question is, what do you value more than money? Mm. That often opens up a whole new conversation. So we take all these things that we learned. I also am, a, uh, from my business exp- uh, background, it didn't end with barcode scanning. I'm a huge advocate for cutting edge technologies. So in addition to that uh, interview, I use online assessment tools, one for risk tolerance and another for what is considered sort of one's financial style or personality. We take all those things and then apply those to how to design a precision customized portfolio, like Jeff said. And uh, we utilize three different advanced technology tools before we feel we get it right. One is uh, one that we get the benefit of from uh, a major financial institution. And two others are uh, ones that we've either purchased or one was a startup company that Jeff found. 
that is really genius at what they do. So we take all those things combined to do things that are, even our core portfolio is not cookie cutter, cut and paste. It's tailored to everything we've heard and that we've learned, and we want to make sure they see that connection. And then we have the second component that we call targeted holdings, which are very special needs of theirs, whether they're, they want to take some funny money and put it into something that might hit it out of the park, uh, which is different than our core philosophy that Jeff mentioned of downside protection. But some people don't want only downside protection. They want to see what they can do with uh, hitting it out. We're not going to tell them not to. We're just going to try to make sure they don't do it excessively. Okay. Um, they don't bet the ranch on that. Right. So it's very personal. It's a very personal experience is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, Jeff, what made you decide to take on this new challenge and a new partner at a stage where a lot of business owners would say, let's think about an exit strategy in retirement? Well, yeah, great question. Whenever I thought about selling the business and retiring, it did not feel at all right to me. For so long, for me, there is nothing more exciting than growing a business. And now it's especially exciting since we've got so much more horsepower and bigger goals. It was also very important for me, especially as the founder of the firm, to eventually transition the firm to the next generation. And so now we've got a great team of younger people to do that with and i'm i'm thrilled about that yeah can you tell me about the biggest investment lesson you have learned jeff yeah i would say that for me the biggest lesson i've learned relates to the world of alternative investments which can be very valuable if they're used well in a portfolio we happened to see that many years ago. And we've been using alternatives now for over 20 years, researching them and, and using them with clients and having both positive and negative experiences. The biggest lesson for me is that most retail clients don't have the patience or the perspective to be using individual alternative ideas. They forget that alternatives play a specific role in a portfolio, that they're often non-correlated to the markets. They can underperform the markets when the markets are doing well, or they can just go sideways for a period of months, which ultimately disappoints the client. And some of them just want to come out or liquidate. So we decided that the way around this is to put a bunch of different alternative managers, each manager running different strategies into one investment. And if you're good at researching and thinking that through and having a process, you've got the best shot at earning the more stable, the more consistent, the less volatile returns, which is the purpose of this idea. This is what most investors are looking for. So we've developed products like this in-house that have turned out to be successful. 
And this has been a lot of fun for the firm. Yeah. Well, let's uh, turn to Bob and see what do you think uh, the biggest investment lesson for you has been? I think that my biggest lesson, Wendy, has been that past performance is not the best way to evaluate the managers that are good at anticipating what's next. Uh, Most people don't realize that we've almost never had the things that drove the last bull market almost never are the drivers of the next one. And today, between um, the ever-advancing technology skills, now AI as an example, the end of the post-World War II Pax Americana, I am strongly believe that markets will be changing at an ever faster rate of change. So one of the things that I look for is not what they did before, but whether they follow a business lesson I learned. It was stated perfectly by Andy Grove, the founder of Intel, when he said, only the paranoid survive. All managers are for me guilty until proven innocent. And I grill them and I grill them and I look for inconsistencies and I challenge them. And if they can't take it, then they're not going to be right for us. Okay. So it's good to be paranoid is what you're saying. Yes. So, Bob, what economic event caused you to make the biggest shift in your investing approach? I think Jeff sort of brought up that there's a number of things that brought us together Uh, We've actually known each other for a long time, but uh, we started to notice that I'd be constantly calling Jeff about some sales and marketing ideas. And I had both of our investment committees, both for our hedge fund called AMP1 and for how to put together client portfolios. And one of the things Jeff and I used to talk about regularly was uh, 1999 and 2007. What did those two have in common? Let me put on my psychologist hat again for a minute. (laughs) There's a behavioral finance term called the recency effect. When you've had a long bull run, like leading up to 1999 and 2007, people emotionally are not able to remember that recessions and bear markets are inevitable. And so they're not prepared and often can get hammered. And for every dollar you lose, it takes you a dollar twenty to get it back. And the more you lose, the more that that compounding works against you. In fact, we've had twice already in this young uh, century bear markets, nineteen ninety nine and two thousand seven. That took years to get back to the high point they were in nineteen ninety nine and two thousand and seven. So that had a huge impact on our shared philosophy, Jeff and I, that like there's only one way to really prepare for the inevitable will happen. But when is never reliably known, never, it's never been accurately called the next bear market. So what we have to have is have them ready without knowing. And that's why we work on downside protection. The less you lose, the less you have to make to get back to where you were. Exactly. It's not so hard to understand, but people forget that. And it's our job to remind them. So we know how Bob got into the business, Jeff. 
Why don't you tell us about your decision to go into the wealth management business? Mm, okay, sure. Well, you know, my my biggest reason initially was personal need and need and curiosity. I wanted to get control over my own financial life and feel like I had some control over my future. You wanted to be uh, rich. Well, <laughs> well, that's the bottom line, Wendy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'm not so you sure. Can, I, you can I'm say not, it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not so sure I was that ambitious then. So, you know, I also thought that I'd be pretty good at it and was confident that I could help people, help my clients. And then thirdly, I am an entrepreneur at heart. So I loved the fee-only business model and uh, was quite sure I could build a successful business over time. So that those are the ideas that brought me into this field. Okay. So speaking of business, what do you feel that a business owner must have in order to succeed? Well, for me, that's that's a pretty basic question. It starts out with creativity. So important. There's no question that creativity is so critical. You've got to have a lot of patience. You've got to have a lot of people skills. And like everything that's well-earned in life, you've got to have determination and grit and you never quit. Never quit. Yeah. We hear that all the time, right? Right. Quitters never win. That's right. So Bob, what do you think some of the traits are for a good financial advisor? Well, that's something that I have uh, thought about a lot. Uh, I would say that I thought about so much that I have prioritized them. Oh, great. The, the number one priority is to be able to translate complex economic and market ideas into plain English. It's our job to educate our clients instead of they're going, oh, I don't get it. You know, just take care of it. Those are not the clients that will trust you the most over time. And they will trust you more if you take the time and make the effort to put things in terms and language that they can understand. Yes, I agree. The second one that I think is uh, uh, very important is listen, listen, listen. It's unfortunately a trait in every business. It's not particularly ours. It's just particularly important in ours that we avoid talking more and listening less. If you do that, you don't catch some essential things. Let me give you an example. There was a, a performance uh, review, and I, I, I'm going to call her Mary. And I said, well, Mary, how do you feel about the performance? She said, okay. And uh, I could tell that it wasn't really okay because of her body language. I said, well, that, that was not a very excited, or uh, that was not a ringing endorsement, Mary. So let's talk a little bit more about what's disappointing you. Mm-hmm. And we ended up concluding that, yeah, downside protection is great, but volatility doesn't bother me. And I want to reach for the brass ring a little more. Thank you. Not We're so, not afraid of risk. Yeah. And so we modified the portfolio. And a few quarters later, she said to me, you know, Bob, I want to thank you for not letting that okay go by. Yeah. So do you wear the psychologist hat and the investment hat at the same time, or do you go back and forth? I wear the investment hat all the time. 
because that's my job. Uh, I'm not there as a psychologist, but I think that once one is trained as a psychologist, they're always a psychologist. Yeah. I try to apply that to my empathy and understanding of people, but not where uh, I'm getting my nose in other people's business. Mm -hmm. Well, it's come in handy, obviously, if you can read their body language and the tone of voice. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Is there a place where people can go if they have more questions or want to inquire more about MCM Wealth? Yes, mcmwealth.com. Part of the transformation that Jeff uh, brought up at the beginning of this includes our website. We're the kind of culture, I think, that it's never going to be finished. We're going to keep revising it because we keep coming up with new ideas and new thoughts. Uh, Because once you get complacent, you start beginning to slip. We have no intention of doing that. Well, that's good to hear, right? (laughs) Well, thank you, Bob. And thank you, Jeff. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you, Wendy. Thanks so much, Wendy. And thank you for joining us today. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. This is Jeff Hakeem again. Thank you for listening to this episode of our MCM Wealth Podcast. Please click the follow button to be notified of new episodes as they become available. Also, please visit our website at www.mcmwealth.com or call me on my direct line at 415-299-6574 so you and I can have an initial discussion. We look forward to learning about you. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of MCM Wealth. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.